0: Quiet, please. In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Sounds logical enough to me. Here we go. 500 years into the future. And now, in cooperation with police and federal law enforcement departments throughout the United States. Power Records presents... Welcome to Nerdy Dads, the podcast that takes a fresh look
1: at pop culture from a parent's perspective. Each episode, the Nerdy Dads explore a subject they love from pop culture and talk about its origins, its future, and how to introduce it to kids. Be careful, though. This is definitely a podcast for grown-ups, and some of the language probably isn't safe for broadcasting at work. Sean and Steve have been friends for almost 30 years, growing up in what could be considered the heyday of pop culture, the
0: 1980s. Now, as dads, they want to help their own kids navigate the science fiction and fantasy landscapes of today. And now, here are your hosts, Sean and Steve, the Nerdy Dads. Hello, podcast listeners. Today, we're going to talk about James Bond and the spy genre as a whole. And we're going to try to break it down and talk about its origins and where it was at the beginning and where it is now and where we think it's going and ultimately what that means for our kids. So let's get into this episode and talk about James Bond. Sean?
1: Yeah, man. So James Bond is probably the most famous spy ever, you know, and and probably the greatest as well. And it's funny Easily. because, you know, we all, I, I think most people know that, you know, the James Bond stories are based on novels by Ian Fleming. and I didn't know a lot about Ian Fleming as a person. And that there are a couple, like, kind of interesting things that came up as, as I was looking into him. Like, I, you know, he's a former British intelligence officer, which I think is yeah. really cool. Yeah, he actually was that, yeah. Yeah, he worked on, and, and like, during his, so during World War II, he's a British intelligence officer. And he actually works on a project called GoldenEye. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. that's
0: such a great touch that, you know, like, later on, they we did this great Pierce Bronson movie. Oh, and then he named his estate when he, like, afterwards he retired to Jamaica. And named his estate the GoldenEye Estate. He, he loved that name. That is awesome. And also the name yeah. of one of the greatest video
1: games of all time. But <laughs> All
0: time, easily. <laughs> yeah, but we're, we're going to digress.
1: If we start talking about that. We're yeah. never going to get back we'll to talk anything about else. So, yeah, well, so, there's so
0: much to talk about when it comes to the spy genre. There's so much.
1: Well, and you were telling me, so, you know, we were looking into, like, kind of the origins of the genre. And, and I, you know, I'm an English teacher, so I always go to literature. I'm always like, well, when did it first appear in writing? Sure. And, you know, there have been spy right. novels since actually... The advent of the novel. I mean, the novel is a relatively new concept in writing. It's only really been in its, it's the form that we understand it since, like, the 1700s. And yet some of the early spy novels came out around in, like, 1820s and the 1830s by James Fenimore Cooper. And uh, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's, it's interesting. I didn't realize that they extended all the way that far back. And, and actually some of the, like, pillars of that period of writing, um, you know, including Rudyard your, R- your Kipling, who wrote Kim, and, um, you know, we get some books by Joseph Conrad, you know, who's most famous for Heart of Darkness, but he wrote The Secret Agent. So we've had spy novels, you know, dating back really since almost the beginning of our nation. As long
0: as there's been novels, yeah.
1: Yeah, and it's pretty cool because, you know, we think about, you know, I, I, when I think about the spy novels, I think about, you know, I go right to Fleming, but Fleming was just following in a line of, of other writers and, and actually, you know, setting the mm-hmm. tone for many to come.
0: Well, I think what sets his... Books apart was the single character that he used throughout so many books. The series. Yeah, he was definitely
1: world-building. And that is, I do I think you're right. I think that's what sets him apart. Where other novelists wrote uh, like a spy novel here or there, hmm. or if even with spy novelists like um, John Lacar, you know, you get a, a guy who writes a number of spy novels, but you don't necessarily tend to see repeated characters. You know, Fleming really creates that Bond character and and follows the whole world behind it.
0: Yeah. And all the ancillary characters as well, whether it's his, you know, assistants and his, like the tech guys and all those, you know, that's part of that world.
1: Yeah. And it's funny because, so I (laughs) didn't, you might have known this. I didn't know this. So Ian Fleming, for me, it's like, oh, yeah, Ian Fleming, James Bond. And then I'm doing some research on him and I'm like, oh,
0: he wrote Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. (laughs) Yes. It's one of my favorite things because it's a total gadget car oh yeah that's the thing that he wanted to introduce into the james bond stuff because james bond is science fiction with laser watches and yeah and Chitty Chitty bang bang was the kids version of the flying car that could do all the things (laughs) uh and i think that's fantastic i think it's awesome he wrote this kid's book as well
1: well and it's amazing because you know they turn it into a disney movie and it you know (laughs) and it's starring like mary poppins era dick van dyke you know, still doing his like, like,
0: you know, street <laughs> oh, urchin.
1: You know, hardcore
0: Cockney accent. Awful dialect. Yeah, that oh, that Cockney accent has been the subject of a lot of ridicule. It has,
1: but it, no way, man. Dick Van Dyke, like, I am fully convinced when I die and I go to heaven or whatever whatever exists and the afterlife, like, Dick Van Dyke is the dude waiting to, like, let me in the door. Like, I, like, I seriously... Hello, Oh All right, ladies and gents. Well done. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'm going to get a tip of the cap and I'm going to get a jaunty little song as I walk my way through. I'm sorry. Where was I? And so yeah,
0: oh, that's awesome.
1: I think it's amazing, man. I think it's so cool, and and you know, I, a couple other things, just you know, kind of we- weird little factoids. You know, James Bond is like a, also a great literary name, right? And he's named after an ornithologist. He wrote a book, yeah. Birds of the West Indies, because Ian Fleming was an ornithologist. He's like a total bird watcher. Yeah, and he's like, oh, this guy's. And got the a good name,
0: name comes from yeah. Well, actually, the name he wanted, he tried to find the most boring, dull name he could find. That was the point of James Bond. It was just he wanted something that the character would be the 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 flare, his personality would be the you know, but the name itself wanted to be the most like like Blending name, nothing that stuck out. It wasn't like, you know, Benedict Cumberbatch or whatever, you know, like anything <laughs> like Slaptyback Humpty Bid. Zinglebert Bambledack, Yingy Burt Dangle Zanglebert Humptyback, Slut Bun all right, Kringlebert Fisty Oh, we got Zinglebert Bambledack, Kringlebert Wangledack, Slut Bunwala, Bun Walla, Kringy Bun Fistle Jerry Dorsey, um. Humptyback but angle but no no go back once or whatever you know <laughs> nothing you know crazy the name itself had to be like just like dull and he's gone on record singing I would just tried to find the dullest name I could find
1: yeah it's uh, it, I, except I think it has kind of the opposite effect it, it is it is not you know it does not have flair but it has such a solid base to it. Oh yeah, you know that, and then also, I mean, well, and you know, obviously the delivery of it, like you know, when when so it's come to be that, yeah. Well, actually, let me ask you a quick question: When in your head canon, if you know, if I say the you know famous you know Bond James Bond, who's saying it? Sean Connery always. Okay, me too. Bond. James Bond. And and which is weird, Sean Connery, because I grew up on Roger Moore.
0: Bond. James Bond. Like Roger Moore. Now Sean Connery was not the first. Actor I saw portray James Bond. For me, it was also Roger Moore. Mm-hmm. But when you hear that in your head, it's always Sean Connery. He's so iconic.
1: Yeah. You know? In fact, I would. Uh, you know, actually, weirdly, I would go Connery and then Craig. Bond. James Bond. I just really. Yeah. I don't. I think is Roger Moore for all of his strengths, and I and I will I will defend Roger Moore to the death. I know there are a lot of people out there who who dismiss him. But Moonraker
0: is a classic on par with Citizen Kane. Oh, and yeah, I mean, for your eyes only was the first time I was introduced to James Bond. That was the first movie I saw. Did you see it in the theaters? No, I saw it on HBO. Oh. Uh, my parents had, uh, when HBO, before it was like an app on your phone, uh, <laughs> you could subscribe to HBO. And they had like a couple of hours a day of programming. It was not 24-7 cable programming this is the early 80s when it was just like three it was like four or five days a week like it literally didn't broadcast on the weekends if i remember i don't know you're right you're but right they just was, had they had snow they just had static yeah it was just like you could tune in during the week and see some movies and i remember uh it wasn't supposed to watch it because there was like <laughs> a girl in a bikini on the front and i was like <laughs> uh yeah, let's see uh it must have been Like, I must have been eight or nine. Yeah, you you were young. No, it couldn't have been that. No, yeah, it Um, came out in in 1981, dude. Yeah, it must have been. So I must have been pretty young when I saw it. But for all of that, when I hear the phrase, Bond, James Bond, it's always Sean Connery saying it.
1: Yeah, I think it's that little dip, that little Scottish dip. It's that little O.
0: Bond. James Bond. Now, here's something I don't know if you know the um, Scottish brogue, that whole Scottish background of him, one of the novels was written after James Bond was in the theaters, after Dr. No. Oh, okay. And Sean Connery was on screen as James Bond. And Ian Fleming wrote it in his background. It was like one of the last novels. He wrote his background into the book that his father was Scottish. That's awesome. So, like, literally this actor because of the way he portrayed it changed the way the character was written was portrayed and then it became canon it became part of the the background sean connery is so
1: freaking cool as james bond and, and actually i think just as any character he you know <laughs> portrays that i have oh, watched i mean he's dude, i've watched Zardas. Yeah. Zardas speaks to you and been like, yeah, this is good. Like, I'm good with this movie. Like, I'm good with the furkini he's wearing, and like, you know, oh, his, like burly, that, manly Scottish. The chest bandolier
0: hair. and <laughs> high boots and furkini. Oh my god! Now, okay, now that brings up something interesting. <laughs> I'm Really uh, curious to see where this talk goes, about, like, where it's going, uh, because Sean Connery as a person. Oh no, yeah, uh, may not be the ideal that we want our children to emulate or even. Uh, ever meet, because uh, he's gone on record as saying things like, well, you know, if a woman's... Uh, sorry, let's, uh, let's let's get a direct quote from Sean here. You did an interview <laughs> in which you said, it's uh, not the worst thing to slap a woman now and then. As I remember, you said you don't do it with a clenched fist, it's better to do it with an open hand. Mm. Yeah, remember that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't love that. I haven't changed my opinion. Well, if a woman's talking <laughs> uh, uh, a bit too much, give it a good rap on the mouth, literally saying, yeah, you know, if she's spouting off, just give her a good smack. And I'm like, ah, Sean, you might want to not ever say anything like that again.
1: Or just um, never say anything again. Yeah, unless yeah. it's written for yeah, you just, in a script, just don't talk.
0: Just yeah, unless it's. Uh...
1: Yeah, you'll you'll notice you'll <laughs> notice I was very careful when I said you know Sean Connery any any character he portrays I'm like you know fictionally yes, as an
0: actor he's amazing. Um, yeah, talking about like the, there there's so many different novels and books and cartoons and video games and magazines and all kinds of different tv shows and things like that that we could talk about our favorites but uh even remakes of old ones in the 60s and they're oh these are so good we're going to do this again yeah
1: yeah my my first um, one
0: and i know you said yours was um for your eyes only
1: <laughs> eyes only mine Roger was the Moore. one right before yeah. mine was moonraker which Ooh, came out in yeah. 1979, and and there's no way I saw that in the theater. I would have been too young, so <laughs> it must have been the same thing. Like, like, I mean, it must have been HBO. And if you think, like, I don't know if you guys been. remember anybody who's listening who had HBO in the early 80s. There were really only like four movies in rotation. It was either Moonraker, <laughs> Eddie and the Cruisers, Gotcha, or the Dabney Coleman vehicle Cloak and Dagger. Like, like that was Cloak it. and Dagger. oh. <laughs> Jack Black escapes. How
0: could he escape? Look at the dice. So what? Twenty-four. Jack Segilley is twenty-four. He escapes. Speaking, which another spy.
1: Oh, uh, it's great for kids, right? Yeah. No. Oh, no. yeah. It was a great movie. I loved. That, I love that movie. Actually, yeah. put Dabney Coleman
0: on the map for me. <laughs> sure. Plus, introduced me to the concept of. I, I don't know if that introduced me to the concept of, but like made role-playing games cool. Yes. In a setting, you're like, oh, wait Yeah. Jack Flack. Jack Flack always escapes.
1: Yeah. If you're a oh, larp'er, man. like you totally, you need to go back and watch Cloak and Dagger. Like you need to know your oh, roots. Yes. You need to know your history. <laughs>
0: but study your roots your (laughs) roots kids
1: but man moonraker was like i I, like i don't know so i I know we'll get to our movies in a minute that one that really imprinted on me like that is my yeah i love james bond in space
0: well i love the fact that they could even like that was again because it was the early 80s they were talking about the space shuttle program yep that was a thing that was and then like directly into uh that's when it was you know brought up and when you have James Jaws, played by seven foot two Richard
1: Keel. I mean, the dude bit a goddamn shark. And you have Roger Moore. Roger Moore, for me, you know, Connery is cool, right? Connery is like cool and dangerous. You know, some of the bonds, Craig is like seething. And like Jan- Daniel Craig seems like he will kill you if you get his coffee order wrong and you're his barista. But <laughs> Roger Moore. Roger Moore always had that little wink, right? Like he always had that little smile yeah. and wink in his eye, like, like, look, like, I, I, can kill you, but I can also make you laugh and get you on my side. Like I'll, I'll choose exactly. which one I use.
0: Yeah, so I, I'll kill you with comedy. You know? Exactly. Like, yeah, you know, he's got that comedic timing. Well, I remember seeing him um, the first time I saw. Ro- I didn't understand it, but I thought they were all uh, when I was a kid. I thought they were all connected because I remember seeing him in Cannonball Run. <laughs> I was just thinking about that. Jackie Chan. And he was like driving a, he was driving like a Lotus. He was driving like a little like British sports car. And it was like a nod to the James Bond characters. Oh, it totally was. was. Just, like yeah. along for the ride. And he was like, no, I'm good with this. Like, this is okay. No, it
1: totally was. He actually had phased out as James Bond at that point. So they were bringing Timothy Dalton on. That's fantastic. And so, oh, yeah. so they, so the Which, you know, Cannonball Run. He
0: gets a bad rap. Now, let a, me just say. He's a solid James he Bond. He only had he only had two movies and they were problem like they were they were rough because they were one set in America mm-hmm. and two he had those two episodes where he would lost his license to kill. Yeah. Like he was going after this personal vendetta thing and you're like, well, now he's out on his own and he doesn't really have the backing of MI6. They were they were like it's like going back and seeing a character that was not in his element.
1: Yeah, as a part of the larger Bond tapestry, it's a very interesting moment because it's sort of yeah. Bond living rough, right? Like, it's 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 more Sh- of a... Oh, like sure, a,
0: sure. Yeah, that's a good point.
1: Yeah, it's like a John Rambo Bond. Like, it's a much more like... I mean more like First Blood kind of, but like... And yeah, and I, I like that. I like that as part of the larger Bond narrative. As movies, when they came out, it was, I think, too much of a break from the, you know, yeah, um, this is, formula. It was not the Bond we knew. Yeah, but, but you're right. Formula. Exactly. He, he definitely deserves some credit. He definitely deserves some praise.
0: I remember growing up, there was a, uh, a book I had called, like, the kid's book of how to be a spy or something. <laughs> it was, like... Um, and it would teach... It, it. It was, like, this thin, like, you know, big cartoony disguise on the cover, but it had, like, how to write invisible messages mm-hmm. with lemon juice and had it show up. It was so cool, it was like one of those things where I just, uh, I, I loved that kind of stuff growing up.
1: Yeah, they uh, there's a store not far from where I lived, one of the places I lived as a kid called Spy Headquarters, and they used to do these- Oh yeah! Yeah, you probably, you, I mean you remember. Yes! Yeah, they used to do these really cheesy commercials about like this, you know, this clandestine sort of Cold War era spy, and, and he had like a pen that would record people, and he had all these different gadgets and they sold right. those and i remember going in there as a kid because their commercial was 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 either aimed at children or very like like very unintelligent adults like i don't know who their <laughs> audience was for their for their advertising right. but i remember going into that store with my friends and the the you know guy behind the counter kind of humored us a few times but then he was like all right you guys need to go because we wanted to yeah, see Yeah you're not spending money. Yeah so. exactly. We wanted to see like the cool gadgets but he actually was selling he was selling like like Um, Pointed, I don't remember the exact name, but like basically sound amplifiers, like a mic. Directional mics. There you go. I knew you would know. You know, yeah, directional (laughs) mics where you could point, you know, and listen to conversations across the street. Things like that. Surveillance gear. Exactly. And it's like, yeah, this isn't for you kids. This isn't like, I'm like, but what about the pen that records people? And he's like, yeah, that's the commercial go away. But I remember really wanting. (laughs) Oh, I know. I know. I remember really wanting spy equipment because so I, you know, you're talking about other spies. You know, I'm a comic book guy. Like, I've been collecting comic books since I could read. And so for me, when I think of spies, I think of, of two people in particular. And I think of Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., Ooh. who is, in Marvel Comics, is the head of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is the, the top spy agency in the world. Mm. And he is you know has a series of famous adventures in the 60s and 70s. And then when I started collecting in the early 80s, He was a a conduit for great stories for other characters. Like, you would have Captain America, and suddenly he'd come home, and he'd open his apartment door, and Nick Fury's just sitting there in the dark waiting for him. (laughs) And he's like, you know, and actually, which they replay in The Winter Soldier.
0: Which is a great scene. And so, sure. And then, I think they played it in, uh, it's one of the best moments, too, because they played it in Casino Royale. Imagine this spy is in your house. Yeah. Waiting for you when you get there. You know, he's done that. They did that twice in uh, Casino Royale, where he's already in the place where the guy shows up.
1: Yeah, it's it's a great it is it's a great little trope because it, it it's that idea of like nothing being private or sacred, right? It's like that person can get right. anywhere if they want, and so Nick Fury would show up and it would it would spark a great story for a character, <laughs> and then eventually in the '80s he got his own series again, Nick Fury, Agent of Shield, and it was just this really cool throwback, you know, Cold War era, you know, spy versus spy, and it's Nick Fury versus Hydra. and Versus, you know, other sort of, you know, governments, hostile governments, which were just a a very veiled version of, you know, of the Soviet Union. And it was amazing. And I loved the idea of this guy with no superpowers and just his wits and cool gadgets, like being the tipping point of of the Marvel Universe. So Nick Fury was a big influence on me early on. And then the other spy. and, And it's funny because if we were having this conversation, if we were recording this podcast 10 years ago. I would have to explain who this is, and, and now 10 years later, thankfully I don't. But it's Natasha Romanoff. It's the Black Widow. Hey, Sam. Absolutely. I mean, she is... In, in Marvel Comics, she is the top spy, top assassin, top one of the top hand-to-hand combatants. And I loved her because she would show up and writers would play her so mysteriously And you knew she had this really big impact on whatever character she was interacting with and again she would sort of draw them and and her as well into these really cool missions and because she was a spy and that was sort of what differentiated her from other marvel characters her her adventures always had you know some sort of double turn some sort of secret agent some sort of you know plot twist where somebody died who she loved and was trying to protect but they had turned on Mm -hmm. her all the great tropes of spy literature. So, so I grew up on man. I grew up on a steady diet of of Marvel spies, mm-hmm. and it it has Absolutely. shaped the way I, I look at that genre.
0: Well, sure, it's it's and it's awesome to know that she didn't have Black Widow doesn't have any superpowers either. Nope, and that's something that they don't play up enough in the Avengers in the current series of movies. I mean, Captain America is like like formula perfect human being. He's strong enough to you know, hold on to a helicopter trying to take off. Bucky has a metallic arm and he was, whether he was probably super soldier formula or not. Um, Iron Man has a huge suit. You know, all of these guys have these, amate, Thor has is a god, has all these powers. Hulk turns out, and the one person who can control the rage monster of the Hulk has no superpowers at all.
1: Well, and she, the, the, the redeeming moment of the first, and I love the first Avengers movie, but I remember when the poster came out and it was the five of them standing in a circle with, like, all that New York attack mm-hmm. from the, the um, alien invasion coming through. And yeah. they're standing there, Nick. Like, Thor's got his hammer. Cap's got his shield. Hawkeye's got his bow and arrow. Wasp, Wasp, and Black Widow has a gun. And I remember a lot of people online being like, oh, one, one of these things is uh-huh. not like the other. Like, one, like what is she going to do with a gun? Like, I could be there with a gun. And I was like, no, you clearly don't know uh, this character. Like, you're an no. idiot. <laughs> and then that moment when she interrogates Loki... And he doesn't realize he's being interrogated and, in fact, <laughs> thinks he's in control. And then she just turns suddenly and is like, thanks, that's the info I needed. Like, it great. was such a great Natasha Romanoff moment because it was like, oh, that's exactly <sighs> who she is as a character. She is
0: always in control and she is always the most capable person in the room. It's awesome. Yeah, she uh, she is beautiful and has a gun and that is the least interesting thing about her. Exactly, exactly. Like, that's, she is beyond dangerous, which I think is awesome and this, is a, this might be a good time to talk about as well. There's a new uh, movie coming out yes. about a young girl who was trained as a ballerina and then recruited into what looks to be some sort of Russian secret spy uh, organization for young ladies, and they're brought up, and it's not the Black Widow. It's called Red Sparrow.
1: Yeah, it's starring Jennifer, Jennifer Lawrence. I
0: think it's such a misstep on Marvel, that they missed that. They think they missed the window. And this other company saw it going like, well, I guess we're going to do that now.
1: Yeah, it is. And it honestly, it's a huge slap in the face to Marvel films because people have been clamoring for a Black Widow film for a long time. And there wasn't even one in development. So they, yeah, this this movie swept in and was like, look, we're not even going to really hide it that much. Like, we're going to call it, you know, Color Animal. Like, you know, Black Widow, Red Sparrow. Like, we're going to just follow yeah. the pattern. And, and that's Black Widow's origin. She's raised by the Russian Red Room from a baby. She sent it, her first missions, she sent as a ballerina into other countries as a spy and assassin. So they're not even fronting. They're like, yeah, we're we're doing the story. You didn't do Marvel. And now Marvel's like, you know, they're like, oh, oh we yeah, have... we should do that. Yeah, well, then, yes, yeah, suddenly there's a Black Widow film in development. And, and yeah, and I, I can just see Jennifer Lawrence being like, yeah,
0: no, we beat you to it. <laughs> yeah, we're good. Yeah, sorry. You're you're late to the party, pal. Which sucks. And I... when you're late to the party in the movie industry here, you may as well not bother.
1: Well, and I and actually, I hope it prompts, I actually hope Marvel still does a Black Widow movie because I love that character. Oh, yeah. I love Scarlett Johansson. And I hope it prompts them to step up their game because if, if Red Sparrow is good and it looks good and I hope it is then they're going to have to watch that and go, yeah, we have to be even better. And I would love, actually, some dueling franchises of, of female-led vehicles in the spy genre. That'd be amazing.
0: Oh, gosh, that'd be amazing. Well, I, I got to see recently uh, a new movie called Atomic Blonde. Me I too. I don't know if you've seen this. I have, yeah. It was so much fun. It is a fantastic vehicle for Charlize Theron, and she is she pulls no punches in this film, and she, it's a female-led Vehicle. It's fantastic.
1: Yeah, and basically, I mean, just to give him a little background, it's a it's a female-led spy vehicle centered in Cold War Germany
0: on both sides of the wall. So that kind of gives on the fall of the Berlin Wall in the 80s, and it's and the soundtrack is amazing. The whole thing is the soundtrack is super fun. I have it. I'm like, oh yeah, I need to I need to have this. And
1: I was really excited when I saw the previews for it because I was like, oh, okay, here we go. And I saw an interview with Charlie Steron and she was like you don't get female-led vehicles like this. She's like, I wanted to be a badass spy in a spy movie where I wasn't the prop for the male spy, and I wasn't defined by what the men in the film were doing. And, and that is Atomic Blonde is not that at all. It's really, James McAvoy's in it, and it is really fantastic. It's a fun movie. I definitely would recommend it. And it's, I again, that and Red Sparrow and Black Widow, It's like all of a sudden, hey, this is really cool. We are getting some really female-led projects, which actually in the spy genre makes total sense because like one of the first spy novels ever was the novel Kim, which has a female-led spy, and it's you know it's it's part of its history. It's part of its of the genre to have women very centrally focused on in you know in those stories. So I love it. I love
0: that we're getting to that point again with film. Absolutely. Um, Well, I, I. My, one of my guilty pleasures, uh, I'll just come out and say it, is the TV show Alias. Oh, yeah. You shouldn't be guilty um, for that. That's a great show. <laughs> good. Because my wife knows that uh, one of my huge crushes is Jennifer Garner. Oh, yeah. But the very, one of the first episodes, I think it's the first episode, she, uh, the main character is being interrogated, and the guy is threatening to pull out her teeth, right? I mean, it's like they're going to savage her, and she goes, he says, do you have anything to say? And she says, yeah, can you start with the ones in the back? <laughs> like, she was just like, well then, F you. Like, she yeah. was just so boss. I was like, oh, that's cool. And you did not it didn't occur to me that it was like, well, she's a girl. You can't really have her as a hero. Hell no. Somebody's like threatening to take out my teeth. And you're like, well, let's start with the guys in the back. They're, they're problematic anyway.
1: So, I mean, know. that show established Jennifer Gardner as a star. It, it went sure. a long way towards establishing J.J. Abrams as a, a creative force, you know, who now has spearheaded Star Trek and Star Wars and a million other things. And then it launched, well, I wouldn't say launched. It helped remind people of the brilliance of one of my favorite actors, Victor Garber. And oh, uh, he's amazing he's so, on that show.
0: Okay, so that was the first thing I'd ever seen him in. Yeah, he's amazing. I didn't know Victor Garber before this. And then later I saw him doing some kind of like, Musical comedy? I was like, what is happening in my world right now? I don't know. <laughs> like, It was it was so, like, he's like this big kind of song and dance man. I was like, what is happening? It's no, like, he, he's totally a Broadway cause, guy. Yeah, because in the show, he plays this no-nonsense Jack Bristow. He's like, he plays uh, the main character. He plays uh, Jennifer Garner's father, and he is such an awful dad. Oh, yeah. And an awful person. Uh, and like, he's so no nonsense. He's like he's like, the old Cold World uh, Cold War spy that's been brought into the modern era. Uh, and, the, and then there's shows like La Femme Nikita mm-hmm. and The Blacklist and uh, the, the Americans. Have you seen The Blacklist? Do you know that one? Yeah, with James Spader. Yeah. Oh I, yeah. Oh, the Americans. Yeah, I've the I've been Americans re-watching The American. Like in our research here. I've been finding old stuff. I'm like, oh, I never finished that series, so I've, I, I started again from the beginning of The Americans, mm-hmm. and um, the young lady who plays in uh, The Americans, Carrie Russell, Felicity, <laughs> is so good. Now I hadn't, I've never seen Felicity, so oh, okay. for me, she is always just this tough. Like if you if you haven't seen The Americans, uh, it is uh, about these Russian spies who live as like deep cover Americans in the 1980s in America. They're basically deep cover uh, long-term spies that carry out missions against America. And they're these KGB agents and they're fantastic. And she is just as strong, just as capable as her husband character, if not more so. She is just, she toes the party line. She is like, no, we are KGB agents. This is what we're doing. There
1: you go. And it's interesting for me to watch that show because, and to see her in that light, because as you know, like I, in my DNA, are like fruity sorority girl drinks and like late 90s, <laughs> early 2000s, like emotionally driven female-led shows. And so she is always Felicity to me. And I'm like, you know, Ben or Sean, who's she going to choose? And then she's on The Americans and I'm like, ah, she's killing people. And it is, is- she shooting them? Yeah, like, oh what is she gosh. doing? Felicity, yeah. stop shooting people. Like, I still remember where I was when she cut her hair. Like, I that's like, <laughs> which probably tells you everything you need to know about me as a person.
0: Oh, Sean, you're so cool. I know, I know. I love you, my uh, friend. You're so cool. I literally oh. was
1: in a, a, a little like, like Twitter, like a, a, a fake Twitter argument with somebody the other day about a couple who whether or not a, a fictional couple belongs together or not. And my defense was the Joey Pacey Dawson defense from Dawson's Creek. And, and the person was like, Did you just evoke Dawson, wow. Dawson's Creek to prove your side? And like, Not only did I evoke it, I literally sent you a picture of Pacey and Joey together to prove they're the better couple. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so yeah, that's me. Yeah. Um, so, I that that show is great too. And I have to say, you know some of the most influential shows on me when it comes to the the spy genre are actually shows that spoof it i mean you and i both grew up on reruns of get smart oh yeah it's one of the great it's one of the great shows of all time it's from 1965 to 1970 so it was you know before we were born and it was created by mel brooks and buck henry i mean like two comic <sighs> gods
0: Geniuses, yes,
1: and it stars Don Adams as Maxwell Smart and Barbara Feldon as Agent Ninety Nine, and Don Adams is like, I mean, the voice alone, like anybody our age or older, if you go, like, you know, missed it by that much. Would you believe that much?
0: It's like, oh yeah, boom. would you believe? <laughs> yeah. I almost was there. Yeah, you know, you know, that's the, that's his. Yeah, his signature yeah. voice, and and so the you know,
1: the premise of the show is there's this good spy group called Control, and there's this bad group called Chaos, and they're you know constantly trying to battle, and Control is trying to stop Chaos's evil plans, but it's it's like a, a spoof of the genre, and they're Maxwell Smart is the most bumbling and idiotic spy on the planet. It's like if
0: Forrest Gump became a spy,
1: exactly, and and actually he Forrest Gumps his way through these adventures. Yeah. And he always comes out on top, either through sheer dumb luck or because his... Thanks to Agent 99. Agent 99, his counterpart, (laughs) she is supremely capable and really, really, you know, a gifted spy and is always kind of saving him, and yet he's always getting the credit. And and it's a great show. And Mel Brooks, um, in, in an interview about the show, he said, you know, look, I was sick of looking at all these nice, sensible situation comedies. They were such distortions of life. If a maid ever took over my house like Hazel, I'd set her hair on fire. I want to do a crazy, unreal, comic strip kind of a thing. Something besides a family. He's like, no one had ever done a show about an idiot before. I decided to be the first, which is
0: like the best <laughs> Mel is, Brooks thing ever. He is an idiot who becomes a spy. And you're like, oh, Max. like You're like, oh, you're such an idiot. You're such a bumbler. You know, like, oh, but you're still in tr-. But I remember it's to this day I use that term. Hey, I, Cone of Silence. <laughs> like look this is we're not going to talk about this this will only be talked about here they bring the thing down and like you know
1: well in the shoe phone I mean like I, oh, I, there's, the shoe phone there's a famous oh. clip from like maybe 10 years ago of Shaquille O'Neal the basketball player at an all-star game and he's sitting down the bench, and he takes his shoe off. People are like, what is Shaq doing? And he, like, turns the bottom of it, and he makes a <laughs> phone call from his shoe. And I was like, oh, my God, he has a Get Smart shoe phone. This is the he greatest thing ever. He just Get Smart in a basketball
0: game? It's amazing. It's amazing.
1: And so, Get Smart, I grew up on a steady <laughs> diet of that show, man. And, yeah. uh, you know, they had the, the Get Smart movie with the nude bomb. We, Chaos had a bomb that, if it exploded, would destroy clothing, and everybody would be naked. Right. You know, which, and You're this like, was... Uh, well, this is too early, but you needed Patrick Stewart from extras to go, but it's too late because I've seen everything there is to see. So
0: I've seen everything. You know, I've seen it all.
1: <laughs> and so you needed, you needed that little moment. And and so that show, and then, and this hit right where we, where I lived. I think I was like eight or nine years old when Inspector Gadget came out, the cartoon.
0: Oh, yeah. And Inspector... must have
1: Yeah. And it was, you know, for those of you who haven't seen it, Inspector Gadget was basically a... a Cartoon version of Get Smart, where there was you know two opposing agencies, and Inspector Gadget is the bumbling spy voiced by Don Adams. Don. And but he except the the one spin on it is he had like mechanical parts, like he had stretchy arms. Yeah, he's a cyborg. Yes, yeah, but not in a horrific, mention, scary way. We don't, don't
0: get into that, but he's like, that's again solidly in the realm of science fiction. He's a cyborg.
1: Yeah, and I love how easily they slip that in because it's a cartoon. They're like, look, his arms stretch. And if he needs an umbrella, it pops go, out of go his head. gadget arms. Exactly. Like, that's a, you know. And as an adult, you're like, that is horrifying. What crazy experiments were done to this man? Like,
0: no wonder or he's brain damaged. how badly was he injured that yes. they had to put those on? Like, yeah. You fill in the backstory later, which they never did in that show. But you think, oh, maybe uh, Claw. Because wasn't it Claw? It was. Oh, Dr. Claw. Was it Dr. Claw? I think it, it Doctor Claw because he has the white cat, so it's a spoof right. on Doctor. Right, and all no. you ever see is the the Doctor Claw. Like he must have like mank I have this idea like that he mangled Doctor oh, yeah. Gadget, like burned him to de- like burnt Like oh, I always he, think he, of like uh, Darth Vader now, about where he burned him. his yeah. arms off. Oh yeah, and they used to be friends, and now they're opposing agencies. Or oh, whatever. oh,
1: he was on Geonosis. He was like he was there. <laughs> his shit, his shit got fucked up with Vader. Yeah, it was yes. it was just as bad. <laughs>
0: And we've managed to hit the explicit. Sorry. 10. Well done. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. No, I'm just, I'm I'm laughing because it's not me. Because it's usually me that does it. <laughs> so it's kind of fun. Well, you can't talk um, about Anakin Skywalker. And you can't
1: talk about I that can't. performance without some and curse how, words. <laughs> it just
0: yeah, possible. no, it's true. Um, and then, I don't know if you, if I ever like consciously was aware of it. But I think it influenced my choice of career when I joined the Navy. Oh, I did not know that. Uh, Because I became a cryptographer. Uh, Without getting too much to what it is, uh, you can look it up online. I'm sure they have all kinds of stuff. But uh, I always imagined the fact that I was helping somebody somewhere or something like that. That That's so
1: cool because I remember, I mean, obviously we've been friends for years. I vividly remember when you were joining the Navy. And I think everybody who knows and loves you just assumed you were running from some girl who was probably going to kill you unless you
0: disappeared from the country. (laughs) (laughs) That's a fair assessment. I think it's a totally uh, to fair assessment. <laughs> uh, that's a totally fair assessment. Um, and I never stopped running. And I never uh, stop. you never catch me.
1: <laughs> I remember yeah. when you were in the navy. Um, you know, we used to write back and forth because it was pre-internet. And, yeah. And, and you know, technically there was email, but it wasn't like a. It wasn't. It was really you new. To
0: to a, you had to go to like a specific computer. Yeah. To use the email, like on a BBS system. It was. It was a while.
1: Yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't su- super common usage. So you and I would write back and forth. And I remember you would talk in these like vague generalities about your job. You're like, yeah, I'm off the coast of blank and I'm, you know, (laughs) I'm listening to blank and I'm like, oh my God, I'm reading redacted material. This is so
0: cool. I can't really say where I'm at or what I'm doing. It's so stupid.
1: No, but the cool, um, and the coolest thing about it is because you and I have known each other for so long. On the back of the envelope, you would draw milk and cheese, the characters from the comic book. <laughs> going like, I'm milk, I'm cheese, and so I'm like, I'm reading this letter from like one of my best friends who's currently spying on like a foreign nation, and he draws milk and cheese on the back. Like that is the best thing ever.
0: You know, throw off the commie somehow. Yeah,
1: exactly. Right. <laughs>
0: Like this can't be a serious letter. He's drawing cartoons on it. Dude. Something <laughs> James Bond never did. Ha! So, uh,
1: so, so speaking of James Bond, I like I kind of like to talk about that franchise now.
0: Yeah, no, let's. Yeah, we, we we've been digressing a bit here, and I love that. Oh yeah, wrong. but um, yeah, let's let's shift a little bit and talk about James Bond in the modern world, and what that means to us as as fathers. So
1: for me, b- before we get to the father piece, I just want to like, oh yeah, I want to celebrate the casting of Daniel Craig as James Bond, and, and what that the the franchise, the shift the franchise took when he took it over. And it's not a perfect franchise. I, I think he's had five movies, right? And you know, uh, Casino Royale is brilliant. Quantum of Solace is not. You know, Skyfall is really good. Spectre is not. You know, so he's had some you know, yeah, some uneven and uneven moments. But the thing I loved about the casting of Daniel Craig is we got the bond of the first Ian Fleming movie we got the casino royale bond who was a blunt instrument you know who was mm. a a broken-nosed like looks like he just got out of a like bare knuckle fight and i really really liked that part of it and i liked the fact that craig was not the charming bond at least in the first film he's not the charming bond he's the brutal violent bond to the point where even you know dame judy dench is, as M comments on that to him. And I thought that was such a cool place to take this, to take this franchise. So, so I know, you know, we're going to dive into a little bit more about it, but I I just really love the casting of Daniel Craig. We could talk
0: about the, oh, I could talk about the Daniel Craig stuff. Uh, I love it as, especially um, as a concept of somebody who uh, it's very rare for somebody to be both arrogant and self-aware. Like he was a thug who knew that that's what he was, where he knew that he was playing, he almost playing in a world above his station.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I don't think almost. I think he's out that entire movie. I think he and his character, especially playing off the the orphan angle, he has a chip oh, yeah. on his shoulder through all of those movies. And I and sure. it, Casino Royale, especially the the scenes with Vesper Lind, are it's so present and it's so powerful. And you know, and I have to say too, just as a, a weird aside, my wife is is a brilliant and wonderful woman and she is really really tolerant of my of my hobbies like i have an entire room (laughs) in our house for comic books and she's like yes your comic book room she's like i don't need to go in there but i'm happy that it makes you happy (laughs) you know like she knows it's in there she knows you know and and you know so there's sometimes over the course of our marriage i'll try to get her into something that i'm into or you know i'll be like oh hey Mm -hmm. you know you got to try to watch this you got to see this She has never had any interest in the Bond films and really no interest in like the spy genre at all. Like, just could not be further from, you know, what entertains her. And in fact, Mm. has always found the Bond series to be what something we'll talk about in a little bit, you know, somewhat misogynistic and, and, you know, to have some, some undertones she wasn't happy with, which we'll get to in a little bit. And then they cast Daniel Craig. And in the first, like, ads for Casino Royale, there's that very famous image of him walking out of the ocean in his, like, really tight blue trunks. Hmm. And suddenly, my wife was really interested in seeing James Bond, <laughs> seeing Casino Royale. And, you know, we have sure. a, a great relationship. We have the kind of relationship where she was like, oh, oh, wait, I want to see that commercial again. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, are you, would you go see a Bond movie with me? She's like, I'll go see that guy in a Bond movie with you. <laughs> and I was like, all right, I don't care. Whatever it takes, man. I don't, you have to awesome. play your more Say, Purian yeah. interest. That's great.
0: That's fantastic, dude. Um, and no, it is one of the things that uh, my wife and I also um, share. And we, we're expressive about that as well. Saying, like, hey, no, that person is, and you, I don't know, there's a certain healthy, oh, yeah. to that as well. Like, no, that person is obviously attractive. Yes. Well, the thing we that I like about Craig about that. is he's he's
1: sexy ugly. Like, he on the surface is not a good-looking man, but he is he is an attractive man. And in, and my wife yes. will talk about that, too. She's like, if I saw him, like, on the cover of GQ, I'd be like, no. She's like, but as Bond? She's like, yes. <laughs>
0: and I'm like, yeah, great. It that's works. great. It works. An oddly specific casting, it does. Yeah. Um, which is funny because Daniel Craig is about as far as you can get from the original idea and description Of James Bond as a literary character. Oh, yeah. From Ian Fleming, um, who was six feet tall, 165 pounds, uh, had a scar on his face with this sort of receding hairline and gray eyes and dark hair. Tall, thin man kind of guy who he want. I think he physically, Ian Fleming, physically patterned him after... I mean, the description you've just said is—is is
1: it does—and this isn't the actor because this is mon- this is anachronistic. This is a modern actor, but he sounds like Corey Stoll.
0: It's Christopher Lee. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, Christopher Lee, who, by the way, just as an aside, was a badass in real life. Oh yeah. I don't know if you have you do you know anything about no, Sir Christopher Lee? Not at all. Okay. Real quick, he was born in London in '22 uh, when the war started. He joined the Finnish army. Then that wasn't enough. Then United Kingdom got into World War II and he killed Nazis for a spy agency. He was attached to what's called the Special Operations Executive. Oh. Which became SI which became MI6. 6. Yeah. He was an actual, like, old school World War II intelligence agent. That's amazing. Killing Nazis. And then we got done. He's like. I think I'll become an actor, <laughs> and like, then he became then he became a rock star. Like he's just like doing this guy's like, I was going to do this, you know. Yeah, he's like he's like you know I've been a spy, I've
1: killed Nazis. Now I'm going to play Frodo in the this. Hobbits. Like I'm gonna, you know. Like,
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. So when I see that guy on screen, I'm like, oh my god, you have no idea how cool this. guy <laughs> That is so, awesome. That's totally um, amazing. And there was an old Dracula movie where it was oh, a yeah. silent. It's a very famously silent Dracula film. The yeah, it was the 1958 Dracula. He hated. The dialogue so much, he refused to say the words on screen. <laughs> when they a- rolled, he just didn't say anything. So that's why he has no dialogue in the film. That's amazing. That's <laughs> seriously like, no, I'm amazing. Dumb, and I'm, I'm dumb and I'm not saying it. I'm the star. <laughs> I'm not saying this. Like, I'm not uh, saying okay. your
1: words, like, your stupid <laughs> words.
0: <laughs> um, yeah. Sean Connery has the arms of like a 15 year old boy. It's amazing. No, a- a- as far as. Uh, yeah, getting, as far as Daniel Craig as James Bond, absolutely changed the mold. Absolutely. Yeah. This film, these four, um, I just would like to see – I would have liked to see Vesper be a little stronger. Yeah. I would have liked her to – Let's get
1: into it. Like, we're, we've are yeah. we hinted at it, and, you know, let's we've... just let's just launch into this because yeah. this is not an easy topic. But if you're going no. to talk about the spy genre – in particular, if we're going to focus on James Bond. Like we have to talk about the treatment of women in, in these films and in these novels at, at times. We kind of have to frame the discussion, right? Because we have to say okay. it, it's 2018 and we are looking at works that are, you know, 50 plus years old at times yeah. through the lens of a 2018 understanding of like consent and gender. And, and so, you know, we don't want to be... We don't want to be anachronistic. We don't want to say like, "Oh, they should have known things," you know, on this level. But, but even for their time, some of the some of the depictions are really, really troubling. Like, I was watching, I was watching um, Doctor No, or, sorry, No Goldfinger mm. the other day. Okay. And they were doing um some channel, I think it was Spike or somebody was doing like a James Bond marathon, and I was like, "Oh, okay, nice. this is amazing." Yeah, it's it's. I'm getting you know Goldfinger, and there's a scene where he's. You know, with, there, there's Goldfinger and then his, his like, female assistant. And mm-hmm. Bond is, of course, captured, and he's trying to sort of woo her. And there's a scene in, in like, a barn, and he throws her down on the hay. And she's like, mm-hmm. no, this isn't happening. And he, like, pounces on her. And she's like, he's no, like, yeah, is. this isn't happening. And he kisses her, and she pushes him away. And the way it's filmed, it is supposed to be, like... And, and, and I, I'm, not, I'm not saying I would find it this way, but for the time it was made, it was supposed to be, oh, he's going to win her over with his masculine, you know, charms. But actually, he's literally just forcing himself on her, and eventually she acquiesces, and they, you know, it's implied that they're together. But I was like, holy shit! Like, I would not, I will not show this movie to my kid. Like, this is yeah, super. That's troubling. not okay.
0: Yeah, yeah, this yeah, is it really. It absolutely troubling. is. There's some really troubling stuff when you get into the 60s, and I hate to say especially the Sean Connery bond. Yes. As cool as he was for guys, and as much of a hero or icon or, you know, role model as he was, like this dashing guy who just kind of got through life on his, you know, he just kind of like, you know, pushed his way through life. He disregarded... Uh, other people especially women in a really disturbing way
1: yeah yeah they're props they are they are a means to an end yeah, that's a, yeah. and they We're... I mean if you're gonna if you're a bond woman if you're a woman in the life who interacts even momentarily with him like you have a 5050 shot of living
0: and even even uh, Judy Dench dies in yeah. Sky, uh, Skyfall yeah like even she's not safe if you're a female in a James Bond film good luck getting through the film i don't i don't see it ending well
1: yeah and i will i you know like i said you know i am careful sometimes of looking at older material you know you do you know obviously we still apply our our current lenses but i'm a little more forgiving and you know because you know just like i hope people will be more forgiving of us 20 years from now (laughs) but you know you know you just never know so i but but this doesn't apply to casino royale the remake with daniel craig because the treatment of vesper lind in that movie is really, really problematic as well. I mean, she is, she is a, a very capable woman with great skills. And I love the fact that that's what draws him to her initially and her to him is this mutual respect of like, oh, we're both, we're both badasses who have clawed our way to where we are in life. And we respect that and we see that in each other. But over the course of that film, they, I don't know, they soften her to a point where she becomes a victim. You know, and, and I, I just can't I don't know, that part's problematic now is, for me.
0: Is now is that intentional because she is in love with him and she becomes softer towards him, and then that's why she couldn't but oh, I d I don't know. I'm trying to, to think about it, I no, guess. I, 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 I don't I think there's a clear answer. Even in the movie itself,
1: um, M Judy Dench says to him, like, You used this girl and you put her in harm's way and she's dead. And that has changed you from the blunt instrument to the scalpel, to the, the spy that, that we sharpened need. sharpened you yeah. enough. I, I mean, she might as well look at the audience and say, narratively, we had him fall in love with a woman. And then we brutally murdered her to advance his story to be the character he can be. And it's like, no, 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 we don't do that anymore. Like, we're, we,
0: we've That's, learned. We've walked away from that yeah, trope. We're supposed to be. And yeah. we're supposed to be better than that. Um, but they are. They're just props in these movies. And I don't know what a James Bond movie would look like if there was a woman who was just as ca- Oh, they do. They make women who are, oh, yeah, are just some as great capable a- of him. But in the same movie, whenever there's a woman who is as capable or uh, devious or whatever, they make her ugly. Yeah. They make her like Rosa Klebb from uh, SmurSh or whatever um, and different characters like that who are not super physically attractive because how could they be... If they're attractive, they're props for him. If they're unattractive, they're foils for him. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, there's... Like, there's it's so uh, monochrome. Yeah,
1: there's a weird... The, the treatment of women in those films is bizarre. And, and and actually, it's especially inexcusable modern in modern times. One, because we know better. But also, two, because there is a rich history in the spy genre of really, really capable, autonomous women who are not props for male counterparts. I mean, again... I'm going to go back to some of my favorite, you know, like what we've talked about already. Get Smart. Agent 99 is the most capable person on that show, and the show doesn't flinch away from that. That was 1965, and even something as silly as Inspector Gadget, his niece Penny is the hero of that show. Oh, clearly. She helps him figure out his nonsense. Yeah, she's the one who knows what's happening. She's the one who gets him out of trouble. She actually totally, whereas Agent 99 doesn't recognize that Maxwell Smart is an idiot, Penny totally knows that Uncle Uncle Gadget is an idiot and saves him all the time, and so you know there he doesn't are have some, a first name, does he? It's uh, I, I think he's just Uncle Gadget, actually. You know, <laughs> and then you were talking about you were talking about Atomic Blonde and Red Sparrow and Black Widow, and you know there are so many examples of really strong you know female leads, and and I don't I you know I'm not here to we're not we're not here to preach you know by any means, and and. You know, we're not perfect. Because having said all this, I still really love Casino Royale. And in fact, right. and it I, is my favorite Bond I, and film. And that's
0: the part I think is the biggest split for me. I'm trying to say, look, I love these movies, but maybe they're not totally appropriate to show to kids or to my daughters at, at the very least and say, or to my son either. And it's like, look, this is not the guy you should be idolizing because he treats women like toys. Like they're just props for him.
1: Yeah, and I, and I think... You know, we've talked about this on other episodes as well, when we've run into some problematic elements and we've said, you know, we think, you know, we don't know, there's no answer, but for our, you know, particular parenting situations, you know, what, there's kind of two texts we're going to take. We are going to, you know, totally expose our kids to some of the media, some of it. Yes. Some of it. No, like I will not show Mm -hmm. Goldfinger to my daughter. Like I, like that, that barn scene is, is no, like there's no, I'm just not even exposed. There's no way however you know when she gets older you know i will show her like casino royale or some of those other films sure which you know it's and it's just then you have a great conversation you have a conversation about you know narrative structure and treatment of of characters and and you know gender equity in in stories and then also and you've talked about this before we just balance it out. When you show Casino Royale, you show Atomic Blonde and you show Red Sparrow and you show Black Widow and, you
0: know... And Alias and you get into the Americans where they are balanced. You know, they they are... See, that's what I like about the Americans. Even though they're KGB agents, they're a team and they work well because they are a man and a woman. They play as a husband and wife but then they come to uh, rely on each other as a team in deep cover for a long time that bond forms... Um, but it it has to, like, and that's one of the things I struggle with as well. Because like I will show my kids James Bond, but I will also show them Atomic Blonde and these other uh, strong female led characters to balance it out. You're right; that's the way it's got to be.
1: Well, and you and I have talked about this before, and this is going to sound a little. I, I mean, just 2018 just sucks.
0: 2017 sucked. <laughs> you know, like like we're just in a, a weird. a rough. Yeah, like, we're in a weird. Contextually, time. this is a rough time. I don't know. If they'll look back on these years and go, man, how did they ever get through it? Or like, oh man, they had it easy then compared to now. Oh but God, I don't, no, I, don't wanna, I hope not. Like, I can't imagine. But one one of the things that
1: sucks about the the time we're living in currently is, I you know, especially doing like a show like this, I think about the the tweet version of this, right? Which is, I wish I didn't, <laughs> but I do. And I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. what am I saying on this show that if it you know was tweeted out of context would would I would be like, oh crap, that's not what I meant. And so I'm about to say something that I know is a little, you know, it's, it's, it feels a little like, oh, look at me, tweet kind of thing, you know? And it's not, it's, it's actually, and you and I have had conversations about this stuff. So, but you and I have talked about the evolution of the Bond character because the Bond mm. 007 is a, is a rank. It's not, you know, it's not him. He's not, you know, there are James Bonds, uh, you know, like it's it, it, there's one mm. character, but there can be many like 007s. A,
0: yeah, like a code name.
1: Exactly. And so right. you and I have talked about like you know, and, and there's always the discussion of like who's going to be the next Bond, especially when it, when an actor hits his third or fourth film. And Daniel Craig has has started to give clues, like oh, I'm yeah. you know I don't know how much longer I have you know Bond in me. And so people have already been like, oh, who's the next Bond? And you know there have been some really cool suggestions, like Idris Elba would be amazing, and you know that people have you know talked about. You know some different actors, especially some different British actors, who would be really fantastic. And you and I have both been like, well, what you know, what about a female James Bond? Like, what about you know? And and people have said jokingly like Jane Bond, but I think if you want to if you want to advance the 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 character, and if you want to take this franchise in a really interesting place, and so the the my whole you know, BS presaging of this point with the whole Twitter point was, I don't want this to come off as me being like, oh, look, I'm being, you know, I'm, you know, being progressive saying there should be a female James Bond. I actually think narratively there should be a female James Bond. I think it's one of the few places left to go in a in a property that's 50 plus years old where yeah. we would get some really cool new material to mine. So I would love to see a female James Bond.
0: Absolutely. Um, I think if Star Wars can have lead female characters and strong Female and Doctor Who can change its stripes, then certainly James Bond can change their stripes and have uh, a female lead. Where, how interesting would that be to see? To really see how a female character like that would treat male counterparts as disposable playthings.
1: Well, yeah, and, and I hope they would maybe bring a new understanding and aesthetic like you know to it like and
0: i i imagine a movie where it's just uncompromising where like no this is exactly how james bond acts you can call her james bond i don't care about that or jamie bond or whatever i don't you know uh but that I think would really like put things in a stark light where the guy's like, huh, no, no, thanks. Oh yeah, we're doing this, you know, and yeah. throw him out a window or whatever, you <laughs> know, whatever the thing is, you know, like, oh yeah, this is happening.
1: Well, and we do, you know, we do have some, you know, some examples of that with, with, you know, some great female characters. I'm trying to think of what actor I would want to see as like the, the female James Bond and, Ooh. You know, it, it's hard because immediately I'm like Scarlett yeah, Johansson. Oh, it can't. No, because you
0: know. <laughs> if you, if you told me Daniel Craig as James Bond, I'm like, nah, I don't really see it. But now yeah. he's in the thing. I'm like, how can you not? Right. So it's one of those. For me, casting is is always tricky because I'm like, oh, I could see this person, but it's a bit. Uh, you know, I, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, well, than, I uh, I think the uh, franchise
1: has to be careful, right? The because they need to progress. I mean, they have the cachet of being James Bond. But they do need to progress because there are some really great examples, like like they've just rebooted the Tomb Raider franchise, and you know that franchise it yeah. isn't necessarily great, but Angelina Jolie was an amazing Lara Croft, you know, and, and um, Alicia Vikander is the new Lara, Lara Croft, and like that's like, you know, you have a high adventure sort of spy action, sci-fi fantasy mixed genre with a super kick-ass female lead. You know, so so there are there are people coming for them. Like, there are now entrenched franchises mm-hmm. that are kind of looking at the Bond franchise like, oh, hey, how quaint. Like, oh, how very 1960s of you. like. And so it is time for that franchise to step up a bit. And that's not to diminish what has gone on in the franchise. Like no. I said, I still love Moonraker and I still love Casino Royale. And Goldeneye is like one of my favorite movies. And, you know, uh, Pierce Bronson was an amazing James Bond. Oh,
0: I remember seeing Goldeneye... In the theater when it came back, uh, it was like the the Bond is back kind yep. of like the, the, the resurgence of because it had done uh, they had done Timothy Dalton and both films were kind of like meh and uh, not a huge uh, response to them um, and to see this that and it opens with this fantastic stunt that a, that was a world record breaking stunt. To see him, that was the longest freestanding structure of bungee jump in the world ever. Yeah, he dives and off. He is just it a does dam that to get into the? Yeah, what's that?
1: Is it a dam that he jumps off of? I'm Yeah, trying to remember. Yeah,
0: yeah, and he yeah, he bungees
1: yeah. down, and right as the cord is fully extended, he fires like a grappling hook into the ground, he and then it's just kind of down
0: like. Oh, yeah. That's how he descends. He just fucking jumps. That he is jumps, one right? of the
1: coolest <laughs> coolest scenes in like film yeah. history. I love that moment.
0: Yeah, it's one. It's one of my. F- favorite James Bond openings and I've seen every I mean I have and seen all of the James Bond films multiple times
1: yeah so you know um, one, of the, one of the things we talk about on the show a lot is like kind of what do we want our we've talked about what we don't want our kids to get from it but we talk about right. we really talk about what we do want our kids to get from it so like what is something that you would be excited to, to expose your kids to with the with the spy genre in particular
0: when it comes to that I love the alias films I love are the uh, alias TV show um, talking about the somebody who is... Thr- I like the spy concept of seemingly normal person, a human being with no superpowers, thrust into a world, whether they're there intentionally or accidentally, and then making the best of a obviously bad situation and trying to get themselves out of it by their own wit and guile. I love that concept yeah me too Um, i love
1: one of the things i love about the genre is the sliding moral line where it's like here's here's what is and isn't okay for this character and as they are more and more compromised by the world they're living in and by the the being you know a spy being basically duplicitous for a living that moral line just starts moving moving and getting erased and and what will they do like is there a stop do they reset or do they just lose it all they ever
0: stop yeah does it just when do you stop becoming you anymore? Like, yes. Because you've made these choices, which is fascinating. I love that concept. Like, look, there are, and that's one of the things, that's one of the great things about books and movies that you can explore that in a vicarious sort of way in that you say, look, this person, I could be a, 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 a facet of me or I can be a facet, you know what I mean? I, I get that, I empathize with that and then watch them slide into this, Dark place, like, well, I can see why that choice makes. And I think that's why, ultimately, sometimes in movies and books, especially, where we rebel against, like, "Ah, I didn't like it. You're like, well, why? I'm like, well, I I don't know how to describe it. But part of that is that, well, they made weird choices that I don't agree with. And I don't think that they were ever at a place where they would make that kind of choice sometimes.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it's, I like the idea too, you know, you've talked about like movies and literature and fiction as a way to extend ourselves as to like a way to to place ourselves into situations we'll never face and wonder what we would do and also there's just the sheer excitement of it like i want my daughter to imagine having that car where the front grill pops (gasps) off and there's the machine gun pops out and you know yeah i can take her to an old school arcade and we can play you know the um the racing game was it defender or what was the um the old racing game where you were in the red car and you could do the oil spill and you could do the machine gun. spy quest spy um, uh what's it it's a cool transition oh, spy hunter that was the name of the oh that is that's the video game, video game spy hunter so great spy hunter so anyway you know there there were so many ways you know, that was so much fun and the, just being like the gadgeteer you know like thinking about all those really cool gadgets and you know i want her to have that experience i want her to to really in her mind you know imagine what she would do and to to be able to dip into these really intense narratives and so yeah, I'm totally and and there are the thing that's beautiful about this spy genre, is there are so many good entry points. Like so so if I don't know if you're aware of this, Steve, because your kids are a little bit older. My daughter's uh, well, actually no, actually uh, your yeah, youngest daughter have a young. Good spectrum. Yeah, yeah, you have a spectrum. Um, so my daughter, you know, we have Netflix and there's there was a remake of Inspector Gadget, so they redid the what? cartoons. I didn't yeah, that. yeah, there's a yeah. modern remake and it's really cool because Penny is. It, even in the original Inspector Gadget from the '80s, Penny was the hero who kind of saved bumbling, you know, get um, Uncle Gadget. That's still the case, but this time she's a little bit older, and she's even more capable. And the show does not in any way flinch away from her being the hero of it, and it's really cool. And like, and like Claw, Doctor Claw even knows that she's the smart one, and is kind of like. Always trying to outmaneuver her, so so that was I. You know, my daughter and I watch those shows all the time. So like we found our entry point into the spy genre, and I've been dying. I've been looking for reruns of Get Smart to see if I can start showing her that because that ooh show is amazing. Yeah. So I have so many good entry points, and then when she's a little bit older, totally gonna show her Lefebvre Nikita, and. Uh, you know the uh the uh, alias and the americans but and, the the movie la femme nikita the original one Oh, not yeah not the, the not the wb uh, or whatever
0: what was so. that? No, and then there was like a no way uh, out with uh, bridget fonda a bridget fonda yeah no way out like remake yeah which okay like the french one the yeah one. okay
1: but i'm going to say while la femme nikita the french version is way better that bridget fonda movie gets a bad rap it's it's actually really entertaining she is I don't know. It's it's. I I really liked that movie. They did not shy away from the violence or from her doing like really amazing stunts and and you know Bridget Fonda has that sort of sweetness and and kind of girl next door vibe to her and it it's a cool contrast to cool. from the like ah shucks Bridget Fonda to the like ah right. shit you just shot me in the face Bridget Fonda like it's a it's,
0: a, <laughs> it's um, so oh, great. And I- I wanted to talk about... You just brought something up when you were talking about the shooting-in-the-face thing. Um, there's a new <laughs> TV series. I don't know how this will you know, play later, but there have been a couple of episodes already shown on the S.T.A.R.S. network called Counterpart. Oh, with J.K. Uh, you Simmons? Have not, yeah. If you have not seen this yet, I'm, I am am really enjoying this. So, S.T.A.R.S., if you're listening, uh, keep going because this is amazing. Um, but in the, in the first episode... There's the, the police are called to a murder scene and there's a girl crying in the shower and there's a dead body and she's like whimpering in the shower and they're like, oh, okay, let's take her out of here. She's, I don't know, she's dressed like, she's got a, like, a, like a party dress on or something. Um, like a real short cocktail dress or whatever. And they're like, oh, she's, you know, obviously a prostitute. Like, let's get her out of here. So the two cops like take her downstairs. And as they're putting her in the car, she pulls their gun, shoots them both and escapes. Ooh. She was the... Uh, she was the assassin and there was no way out so she like, she played on their
1: their expectations yeah their
0: expectations of her being the simpering Like she just acted like she was in shock and like oh no help me and so they like okay this is what I there's no sign of the perp he's gone that's awesome and they take her away and she is the preeminent badass in this show she's the villain and it's fantastic that's awesome moment of like no that's exactly how a spy would turn and use expect and I think that would be an amazing opening to a female James Bond
1: Oh yeah film. yeah, that'd be really like, cool You
0: see a guy in a tuxedo get shot and she's like you know she's like simpering they come to take her away she escapes out the window and turns out she, it's, it's bummed. James Bond like, like it's her, you know like, you but,
1: know. but this goes back to our point there are so many places where this is happening like there are so yeah. many venues where you are getting an expansion of the spy genre and actually not even an expansion almost a return to its origins where some of the first spies in literature were women and you're getting this variety and so you know because James Bond is the most famous spy franchise and, and you know probably for you and I both our favorite we would like to see it sort of push those boundaries too and sorry quick dumb aside I kept calling the Bridget Fonda movie "No Way Out," and that was in fact the Kevin Costner '80s movie, That's which Kevin is Costner, a yeah. great spy movie. Um, the Bridget Fonda movie is "Point of No Return," featuring "Point
0: of No Return," featuring Harvey yes.
1: Keitel and Gabriel Byrne, like Gabriel Byrne,
0: yeah, as the sort of handler.
1: Yeah, talk about uh, two okay. great character actors. Um, so, I, yeah, I'm actually I'm gonna I'm gonna wholeheartedly recommend that movie, and I realize that. That probably speaks to something. It's <laughs> some, some, my taste level, right. but I don't care. Man, it's a good ah, movie. That's a, it's yeah, a good movie. No,
0: um, no I, did, I have enjoyed that film. Um, yeah, it I got, a, it got about... 48% on Rotten Tomatoes, so I'm, I'm definitely uh, not. <laughs> well, you know, I'm not in this majority here. <laughs> that's okay. Rotten Tomatoes is, uh, you know, it is I think it is. it's not, you know, we'll it, talk about that. I know we're kind of <laughs> wrapping that up, should be a th- uh, but if I could yeah. make one last recommendation – for Please.
1: a really great spy, you know, um, piece of spy fiction, and, and one that, especially given the time in which it was created, has an incredible balance and has an incredible mix of charm. Um, I would recommend the Avengers TV series from the '60s. This was the um, John Steed oh, yeah. and Emma Peel, the the very proper British spies. And John Steed is this very proper British man in a in a bowler hat with an umbrella. And actually, it's it's Emma's, um Emma Peel, who is the badass physical one. She's the sort of bruiser of the group. She's but, the heavy. Oh, she's the heavy. But they are this unbelievably charming and unbelievably um, watchable pair. And they just own the screen. It's it's Patrick McNee and Diana Rigg. And it is a, it's a fantastic show. Ugh. I know it sounds weirdly old, like from the 60s and it's black and white, but it's one of those things you watch where you're like, oh, this is... This is an all-time great. Like this is a time capsule show. So like if you just if people haven't heard of it because it's an older show, check it out. It's the
0: Avengers and it's amazing. Know your roots, people. (laughs) Yes, know your Um, roots. Yeah, that's about all the time we've got for today. So thanks so much for tuning in. We really do love feedback here at Nerdy Dads, and we would love to hear from you, our listeners. So if you have something you'd like to add to today's discussion, did we miss something, or if did we get something wrong? Or if you'd like to suggest a topic for the next episode, you can reach out to us on Instagram at Nerdy Dads Podcast and on Twitter at Nerdy Dads. We look forward to talking with you again soon. Oh, and before we check out Steve, I put a dollar in the swear jar. Sorry. Uh, I think you owe at least two. Because...
1: <laughs> I put a 50 in there for future shows just to
0: hedge against them. <laughs> just let me know when that runs out. All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. Take care. Any views or opinions are presented in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the authors and do not represent those people, institutions, or organizations that the authors may or may not be associated with in professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated. Any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual. All content provided on this podcast is for informational purposes only. The owner of the podcast makes no representations as to the accuracy or completeness of any information on this site or found by following any link on this site. The owner will not be liable for any errors or omissions in this information nor for the availability of this information. The owner will not be liable for any losses, injuries, or damages from the display or use of this information. <laughs>